Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hawaii Community Church. Would you stand if you're ever? We're going to spend some time worshiping through song this morning.
Well, good morning, good morning. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. My name is Ian O'Mara, the Director of Community Life. If you have your bulletins, go ahead and pull those out. And if you flip to the inside cover, you'll see our prayer connection card. We're a church that is rooted in prayer, and we are better together. So if you could take some time throughout the service to fill that out. There's no prayer too big, no prayer too small. Or if you just want to let us know you're here, please take time to do that. Well, we're going to jump right into announcements. we got a lot going on these next 30 days. Well, first is our Easter block party, which is happening next Sunday, Saturday here from 10 to 12 p.m. If you haven't signed up, we still have some spots. If you have the gift of bounce house, let us know. We need some bouncy house observers. We need some uh, cleanup crew. We got a lot of spots filled, but we still have some very key spots need to fill. If you have more questions about that, talk to me after the service. That's going to be next Saturday here from 10 to 12 and if you're available today in the Welcome Center, right after the second service, we're going to have a stuffing party. We're going to put stuff in eggs, listen to some music and fellowships. It's going to be a great time. Also, this year, Palm Sunday, we're having a brunch. That is the next day, April 14th. If you have a friend, this is a great opportunity to invite them. We have normal service times, 9 and 1045 here. So there's going to be a brunch after both of those services. So if you have someone you want to invite, this is a great time. If you have relatives in town, this is an excellent opportunity. And during that week... After the 14th, so the 15th through the end of the week, we're going to be doing Holy Week dinners. In the foyer, there's this little brochure here, and it's a step-by-step -step way to get around a table with two, three, four, or ten people and just do dinner and reflect on Jesus' Last Supper. And if you're doing one of those events or you would like to host one of those events, let us know. You can email me at ian at ljcc or just talk to me after the service. We'll have Good Friday here at 630 on April 19th from 6.30 to 7.30, and we'll go right into Easter. In Easter, we're gonna have three services, 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And in the foyer, we also have invitations. The highest time for people looking to get connected to a church or just to kind of do that religious check the box is Easter. So if you know someone, get one of these, um, these invitations, grab a couple, give them to your friends, give them to your coworkers. Put it, give it to your neighbor. Give it to someone you know that might be looking for a church to get connected. It's a great opportunity to outreach to those around us. If you have more questions about this or anything, you can go to our website, ljcc.org, or you can stop by after the service and ask me any question you want, and I'm sure I can either find the answer or get you connected with the answer. Well, right now, this brings us to a time of tithes and offering. And as the ushers come forward, it's a time for us to reflect. How are we going to partner with Jesus for the gospel? And this time of year... It is so real because on the, on the Good Friday, we, sell, we, we mourn and we commiserate and we celebrate his, Jesus going to the cross for us. And then we get together a couple days later, three days later, to celebrate his resurrection as a community. So we ask ourselves, how can we partner with Jesus? And this is a time for those who call LJCC home to give back to what all the blessings they receive to partner with us here. So let's go to prayer. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much. We thank you so much that you're our God and you went to the cross for us. Lord, you are with us in the good times and the bad. Lord, like in Psalm 22 where David's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And those great moments in the Psalms where we're saying, our Lord, our God, we praise him on high. Lord, you are with us through it all. 
And in this, this time, Lord, we're celebrating, reflecting on what you've done for us. Lord, we thank you so much. We, we look forward to the call you put in our lives. We look forward for being the gospel in this community. And we look forward to bringing your message wherever we work, live, and play. And we do this in your holy and precious name. Amen.
beloved children of God. Hey, well, let me ask you a question. Uh, who's looking out for you? Who's looking out for you? Uh, probably a, even a more profound and important primary question is who are you looking out for? <laughs> I'm seeing some help to head tilt like Yeah, uh, if, if you're a parent, you're definitely looking out for your kids. Unbeknownst to you, if you're a parent, though, your kids are really looking out for you uh, because they remind you when you come up with lame jokes. <laughs> Uh, your wife, uh, if you're a guy, is looking out for you because she always is looking for lame combinations of clothing. Uh, let's see. Uh, it's really, really neat to think that somebody might be looking out for you. That's what that song just said. Uh, that uh, I am what I am. Uh, I mean, that was not said first by Popeye, okay? Uh, this is something that all followers of Jesus can say, you know. We can say, I am what I am, you know. But now... Um, to think about it, if this is the identity of a follower of Jesus, that we know that God is always looking out for us, all of a sudden we then uh, are, are confronted and encouraged with this notion that we have the, the, not only the obligation, but the privilege of looking out for others. Of looking out for others. So that's our big theme this morning as we wrap up uh, this five-week study in First Peter uh, called Running Life's Rapids. We've used this uh, uh, river rafting analogy because most people have had a river rafting experience. If not, uh, they know what it is. Or they've, they've done some kayaking or canoeing. They've been on a boat. But the idea is that all those elements that make uh, 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 it possible to do a river trip really correlate to a lot of aspects of, of our faith. And so this is the final way of putting it together. Look at that beautiful picture. If you can see it, this next picture, uh, I don't know if you can see it very well, but see that magnificent canyon. I mean, it's just stunning. It is so beautiful. <clears throat> you see these, these three boats underneath which says looking out for one another. Underneath there, there's three boats. The last boat is a supply boat. Now these are oar boats. Uh, when you're river rafting, typically you're using a paddle. These are oar boats. Uh, and, uh, and look how calm it is. This is a complete head fake. This is the brochure version of a river, of a river trip, say like on the Colorado River, because everybody's thinking, oh my gosh, I saw those crazy pictures. Uh, and now they start out like this, they're going, you know, it's not that bad. I could actually do this. I'm kicking back, sitting here, thoroughly enjoying myself. Uh, and yes, I, I'm glad to look out for all these people. And then all of a sudden you start to hear that, that dull roar. And it's like somebody has their hand on the volume control in the middle of the Grand Canyon. Uh, or, or the Snake River Canyon, or wherever you happen to be rafting. Uh, maybe it's some exotic place uh, in Chile or, or someplace, Patagonia somewhere. Um, and all of a sudden you realize, man, I don't know if I can look out for other people. I'm, I think I'm going to be busy looking out for me. And when the roar of life gets big, when we start to face those rapids, we tend to want to just look out for ourselves. Every man, woman, uh, boy and girl looking out for themselves. Uh, I have a sense, I don't know, maybe it's just me, maybe I'm being paranoid and, and, uh, and uh, too, too nervous about things. But I just have this crazy sense that everybody in our nation is looking out for themselves. Do you think that ever, that ever occurred to you? Uh, every time you pick up a paper, every time you dial into any kind of news media that you use, uh, whoa, uh, do you feel like it's like everybody is looking out for themselves? Uh, have any of you ever shopped on Black Friday? I'm just asking the question. Did it seem like everybody was helping you find the best deal possible uh, and get that bargain basement, you know, one cent sale, 85-inch uh, TV or whatever you're looking for? Uh, looking out for one another uh, goes out the window 
when you hit Life's Rapids, usually. So that's where we're going today. And I'm going to run through these pretty quickly. I got 200 slides. I think you're going to like all of them. And uh, so we talked about the first week, stay in the boat. The boat symbolizes the fact that we're called into the body of Christ. We are the people of God, not by anything we've done to deserve that distinction, but by God's grace, he's invited us into his forever family. And he's writing to people, as you remember, who are foreigners and exiles, strangers in the land. They're living in a place, uh, five provinces described at the beginning of the letter, all that we know is modern-day Turkey. But at that point, it was, an, it was a Roman province. If you, you may as well have been in Rome if you lived in that part of the world. Some phenomenally beautiful cities. To this day, some of the most beautiful cities in the world. Uh, by the year 324, that was the center. Believe it or not, that was the center of the Roman Empire. That's where Constantine built his city, Constantinople. That was the center of the Roman Empire. It wasn't even in Rome anymore. But this is probably about 64, 65 AD that this letter is being written. And Peter writes to people who are, are, the, are the lowest on, the, on the, uh, the ranking scale in that Roman province. They had no voice. They were treated horribly. They were easily abused. Uh, plus, they were followers of Jesus. So that meant that they, in the Roman thinking, they, they were atheists. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Uh, they were atheists because they didn't believe that it was okay to worship the emperor and the empire. And so they were considered atheists, which meant that they were capable of sedition, which meant that if they got together to meet and talk, they were planning something bad against the Roman Empire. So this was the whole genesis of the persecution they were facing. Persecution was not an official doctrine of the empire at that point. That didn't happen until you know, 150 years later with Diocletian, uh, all-out war on Christians. But at this point, it was region by region. As they started to figure out, these people aren't Jews. There's something different. We know who the Jews are. We've got a way of dealing with them. But these people, I don't know. And so they were being persecuted. And so Peter says, look, you're in, this, you're in this boat that constitutes God's kingdom. No matter what you're experiencing around you, you are in his boat. Don't despair. You're in his boat. Act like people who live in his boat, who function in his boat. It puts a whole other uh, gloss on what they were going through. Secondly, he tells them, basically, hold on to your paddle. God's entrusted things to you to do his will right where you are. In this crazy situation, think of it as you've been promoted by God to be a missionary in the most unlikely place. It's horrible. It's uncomfortable. You'd rather be somewhere else doing something else. But while you're there, think about being my hands and feet in this place. And so, again, a parallel to river rafting. Uh, on a typical river rafting trip, not an org boat, but a paddle boat, you know, eight people are, are entrusted with a paddle. They learn how to use it. And your paddle represents everything God has put in your hands. So what do you do? You protect it. You don't let go of it. When you fall out of the boat, sometimes you hold on to it. Uh, you help other people get back into the boat by extending it. Uh, you use it skillfully. Sometimes you don't use it, and that's as skillful as using it. When the person calling out the instruction says, you know, right side, lift up your paddles, you know, stop paddling, uh, or paddle backwards. And so you become skilled with it. You use it wisely. You don't hurt others with it. Hey, what'd you, oh, sorry, what did you say? I said you just hit me with your paddle, you know. Uh, and so you hold on to it faithfully. The second, the third thing we talked about is it's just so important to pull together in the same direction. When you don't, it's chaos for everybody. You can't navigate the boat if you're all pulling in a different direction, and therefore the, the boat is, is vulnerable and susceptible. Everybody's at risk, and you'll dump the boat, and you could get hurt. Somebody could die. So you see these people getting dumped out of the boat. And then we talked last week about the fact that you will get wet. No big mystery. When you're running the rapids of life, you get wet. Uh, and this is one of the things that, that catches us by surprise. You go, wow, why are all these bad things happening? What a weird time of history. And you go, really? Have you ever read history? Uh, this might be the most calm time in all history. You think about it. The crazy things going on in the world, 
relative to how many people in the world, this is about the most calm time in history. If you think this is a hard time in history, think again. If you think, well, once things are better in the world, I'm going to really give God more of my time, my talent, my treasure. Think again. If you can't give him your best right now, you have no idea how luxurious you, you, the times in which you're living really are. But you're going to get wet. And when you get wet, stop trying to blame people. Stop trying to beat up yourself. Just understand that in this world, you will get wet. We live in a toxic world. You breathe the fumes of this world long enough, you will die of asphyxiation. It will suck the life right out of you. Not to say we're paranoid or we hate the world. We say we love the world because Jesus came to die for the world. When John in his letter says, love not the world or anything in it, he's not talking about the love of God coming into the world. He's talking about that preoccupied love that says, everything that this world offers is what I need and want. You don't realize you're sitting in a car in the garage with a hose in the window. And you start getting tired. You're that person who wanted to go have a really fun adventure in the snow and, and doesn't realize while they're sitting in their snow trying to get out of the avalanche debris that they're getting really warm. They've stopped shivering. And they're starting to feel really sleepy. They go, it's just not so bad here. They don't realize that the hypothermia is killing them, right? Sucking the life out of them. So you'll get wet. So what do we do out of, out of, out of all that? Uh, in 1 Peter 5, he says, look out for one another. Look out for one another. Uh, if you've read any of those wonderful books about people going through difficult circumstances together, you see that their hope was in hanging together. As soon as they get separated, as soon as you read any adventure story where people get separated, you go, oh no, this is not going to go well. This is not going to go well for these people once they separate out. That's when they stay together, uh, that they have hope for looking out for one another and together getting through those rapids. And so what are we going to see in chapter 5? Uh, he tells us to beware of some things, like predators, uh, like pests. <laughs> Unfortunately, the pests, this should have our picture, our face on the head of this mosquito. Because we end up identifying ourselves as the pests to get in the way of what God wants to do. There's an outside predator, but we become our own pests. Uh, you can get sunburned. There's all kinds of circumstances in life that make us feel like we're uncomfortable being, being abused or, or attacked. But probably the most insidious one is dehydration. We get parched and we stop drinking deep of the word of God. We stop luxuriating in his spirit. We stop receiving the support of God's people, the accountability of God's people. Uh, we stop seeing that God uh, is for us and with us. And we, we get dehydrated. We don't even know it. You know, it's so easy to get dehydrated, isn't it? It's not just that your, your body's given up, you know, using water to energize you. The wind and the sun is sucking it out of you. You don't even realize it. Most people in the mountains, I've noticed, are continually uh, dehydrated. Most people on big sailing trips are totally dehydrated. Water, water everywhere, but they don't take a moment to drink. And so uh, if you're a person who's really going for it in your faith, uh, drink lots of water. Drink a lot of water. Keep hydrating. Keep hydrating, and, and on a river trip, when you start to see people getting listless or doing crazy things, you go, ah, everybody needs water. Well, I don't feel like uh, drinking water because I'll have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so when you're on a river trip or, or a mountaineering trip or a big sailing trip, you say, if you don't have to go to the bathroom all the time, something is very wrong. And every woman on the boat says, that's easy for you to say. <laughs> Even on this boat, there's a line. Dehydration. Okay, so as you embrace this great big adventure, uh, Peter wants us to understand, what's your mission? Here's his waterproof bag. What are you going to pack in this waterproof bag? As you embrace this big adventure to, to run the rapids in Christ and with Christ, for Christ, your mission is to what? It's to love God, your neighbor, and yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, your neighbor is yourself, right? 
The great commandment uh, followed by the second great commandment. Uh, if you get this, you get it all. And then the implications of this, what the rest of the Bible is telling you about. This is the big aha mission and moment and strategy. Everything else is tactics. How do you do that is tactics. And so protect the vulnerable. That's part of what Peter wants us to do. He's saying to these people who are really hard-pressed, look, if, if you're going to raise up generations of people who are going to understand how to handle this stuff because they're going to see you handle it. This is why, and this I said this last week, within um, uh, uh, just over a couple hundred years from when this is written, which seems like a long time to us, but you, which is a blink historically, within, uh, say, six generations, these people are running the Roman Empire. Think about it. They protected their vulnerable. How do you protect the vulnerable? By giving them everything they need to know how to navigate life. You don't become a helicopter parent to protect your children. You will ruin your children if you deny them the privilege of falling out of a tree and breaking their arm. If your kid has never had to go get stitches or see the doctor for an injury or the dentist for a chipped tooth or something, I th you're doing something wrong as a parent. We live in a day and age when everybody's afraid that Child Protective Services is gonna, is gonna come over and say, have you noticed your child had a bruise? We talk about that. It's his little brother, his little brother. You know, okay, you know, yeah, because the big brother's picking on a little brother. Pop, might have popped him once, so he's got a bruise. The idea that that we want to protect the vulnerable, how? Not by making them dependent on us, by, by helping them become resilient uh, and to lift people up, right? Not a handout, as they say, but a hand up. Uh, we want to take time to enjoy friends. It's one of the beautiful things of any river trip. You have those moments when you're just hanging out and you're enjoying people. And you have a whole deeper bond now because you've been going through something together. Wow, we survived that rapids or we, we survived that scary uh, other experience or this happened or that happened. Now you have stories to tell. People you didn't know a week ago, you're thinking, hey, when can we do this again? Right? You're not even done with the trip. Uh, you nourish body, soul, and spirit uh, on these trips. You notice how ravenously you eat on these kinds of trips and how everything tastes really good. I can't tell you how many trips I've been on in different places and different settings. When I come home, I think that food is so good, I'm going to make it at home. And I make it at home, and it is so bad. <laughs> and no matter what I do to it, it is still very, very bad. And I'm thinking, this is exactly what we ate on the trip. Yes, it was. And it was very, very good. Uh, so we nourish body, soul, and spirit. Why is it so good on the, on, out there? Because you appreciate it so much. And after a while, the food itself isn't the big deal. It's the people you're sharing it with. This is why these Monday Thursday dinners are essential for your soul. Do not treat this as, oh, that's interesting, I, I don't do dinners. I don't have a nice enough house or apartment, I don't know anybody. If you miss this opportunity, you're missing something very big for your soul. I'll tell you why. Monday Thursday was not a service that Jesus invited people to. It was a dinner he hosted. Think about that. Jesus didn't come into the world so we could go to church services. Jesus came into the world so we could have fellowship with him and through him with one another. And we structure that in lots of different ways. One way we do that is in simple meals. Order out pizza, tell everybody to get their favorite fast food before they show up at your house. If you don't like fast food, then fine. Uh, cook them your favorite thing from your backpack trip. Um, it, your family counts as this. Make us a family dinner, whatever night of the week you want, and, and, and use that little instruction uh, booklet that we give you and walk your family, your kids, your grandkids through this meal. Invite some people. People don't have to go to our church. Do, do not miss this as an opportunity to meet someone somewhere and go through it together. However you do it, don't miss this. Let this be a marker of something that will nurse body, soul, and spirit, allow you to be a holy community. The next slide up. 
That's part of the, what, what we, we want to pack in this waterproof bag that we're taking on this adventure. And then we want to prepare the next generation. Uh, if you're a parent, you're, you are the priest, you are the pastor, you are the prophet to your children. To the degree that you, as a grandparent or a parent, walk your children through this Monday Thursday service, you're demonstrating your prophetic role, your pastoral and priestly role as their parent. You are a priest, you are a pastor, you're a prophet to your friends. Why? Because anybody who directs them to God becomes immediately a priest or a prophet. Not because of anything you bring, but because of the one to whom you belong and to whom you point. You get what I'm saying here? If you miss this opportunity, you're missing part of your essential identity as a person who is navigating life's rapids in Christ. I grew up in a family where this would have been the most preposterous thing to ever have conceived of. We are revolutionary, revolutionizing and making revolutionaries out of, out of parents here. That's our goal. We want to make you so radical that you get to the heart of everybody you touch. Not by barging into their life, but by simply being you and inviting them into your life in appropriate, socially appropriate ways. Let's have a dinner. We're going to read some, a couple Bible verses. Uh, we're going to reflect on what was going on at this dinner. Anybody have any ideas on that? I don't do sermons, right? So just anybody have a thought on this? Okay. The big, the big thing is love. What does that look like for you? How do you know when you feel loved? How do you know when you're helping people feel loved? It can be that simple. You have a, a simple meal. You, 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 you share some, uh, you know, some communion. You break the crackers. This is Christ's body given for you. You give them some juice or wine if you have a great party. Um, and what does this do? This prepares the next generation. It prepares you to prepare the next generation. Okay, so let me just then, having given you that big picture, capturing your imagination on some things, let me now give you the data that supports it out of the scripture. Sometimes in sermons we start with the scripture and we, we build it up from there. Sometimes we want to give you the big picture and bring it to the, to the word of God. This is what we're doing now. We always come back to the word of God in some way or another. Why? It's not the only book, but it's a book that helps us make sense of all other books especially the book that is our life. So all of you, he says in 1 Peter 5, 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud. He opposes the arrogant, but he gives grace to the humble. He says all of you, he's talking to them as a community. Every age and stage, this is a multi-generational community that he's addressing. All these people are, are uh, aliens and strangers and foreigners but they're also in relationship with one another through family groups, through friendship connections, uh, and in Christ. All of you, so authentic Christ-centered community is essential. This church or any church cannot thrive and grow. I don't mean just grow numerically, I mean grow in terms of wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man as it described Jesus. We cannot do that apart from authentic Christ-centered, biblically-based community. It's not a bunch of great people getting together making something happen. It's by coming in Jesus' name that makes people great and makes them feel like, hey, something is happening. I want to be a part of it. How can I contribute to it? But if you're not humble and rather if you're arrogant, you will absolutely block that. You'll, you'll kill that off right away. Why? Because arrogance erodes unity and it diminishes strength. Think about it. Arrogance is faux strength presented to people to say, watch out for me. I'm dangerous. I'm not going to take anything from anybody. Arrogance pushes its weight around. Arrogance is trying to manipulate people. Arrogance exploits people through false guilt. Somebody was telling me this week, God, I feel so bad. That, you know, the person was saying, I never call him, and I just felt really bad. And I said, 
wow, do they have a phone? The guy goes, yeah. I said, they didn't think to call you? What, what, what's going on with that? He starts laughing. He goes, yeah, they have a phone. Why do I have to feel bad for not calling them? I said, yeah, I'm asking the same question. It's not, you know, I won't call you. Arrogance says, I won't call you. It's beneath my dignity. But arrogance also doesn't say, hey, how come you never call me? Really? Yeah, pretty arrogant. The world revolves around you, and everybody's obligated to call you. If you call me, maybe I'll say, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry I haven't called you in a while. You know what I mean? You open up the, the door. It builds unity. It builds strength. We're going to reestablish our relationship. Let's have a phone call. Let's get together. See, humility builds unity and increases strength. Why? Because it says, hey, there's room for you here. What I have, I'm going to give to you. I, uh, arrogance withholds. Hey, you're not worthy of it. Until, until you meet my terms, I'm not going to really invest myself. Is there anything more arrogant than that? In a family, in a friendship, in an organization. Do you know that marriage is not 50-50? Why? Because 50-50 falls short. 50 and 50 puts you in close proximity, but you're not there yet. 100%, 100% is what gets the job done. If you keep score in your relationships, I can guarantee it'll always be a low-scoring game. Because it becomes a quid pro quo. This is our Latin lesson for the day. It's an exchange, a transaction. Arrogance withholds, humility offers hope, help, and solutions. Humility is not a, a, a doormat. Hey, walk all over me. I'm codependent. I'll do anything to prop you up. I owe it to you. I'll walk on eggshells around you. That's not what humility is. Humility has the love and the compassion and the wisdom to say, hey, I've seen some things I'm really concerned about. We talked about this. Right? It can be assertive. Humility is not passive. Arrogance is always aggressive. But it, face, it, it faces us with passivity. That's what we call passive-aggressive. People do arrogant things from a passive-aggressive perspective. Why? Because arrogance is a self-centered and self-defeating focus on yourself. This is not about self-care. Love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. You have to care for yourself and love yourself in appropriate ways, right? So it's not about not self-care. The mom who says, I give all to my family. I'm so burned out and resentful. Babe, you need to start taking care of yourself. You're not doing your family any favors by being a martyr in their presence and making them feel false guilt for you not having boundaries. Hard, hard message to somebody who's given their heart, soul, mind, and strength to serve other people. We do not need martyrs in this church in the sense of people saying, I am, the, I am, you know, Jesus couldn't come back soon enough, so I'm here. We're martyrs, and the word martyr is used in this letter. We're martyrs in the sense that we give witness to Jesus, who is the ultimate sacrifice and Savior. We serve him. And so arrogance is, is this fake sense of strength, not self-care. It's about manipulating other people and putting off the responsibility of being real and owning who you are and recognizing what the community needs from you. This is every woman's bane of dating a guy that can't commit. Why can't he commit? He's immature. Lack of commitment equal, either equals I am called to a different commitment or I'm so immature I cannot make a commitment. So I want every man and woman who is looking for that person to spend your life with to remember this. If they can't commit to little things, they will not commit to big things. It'll be your job to make them happy, and that's a, it's just a thankless job that has lousy pay. <laughs> and I guarantee you, no benefits. <laughs> Arrogance uh, is self-centered and self-defeating and focuses on, on itself. Arrogance blames and therefore gives less. Well, if you only did this, then I'd give more. Humility steps up and focuses on us. How are we doing? 
What do we need to do to get this right? Every family with small kids uh, at some point realizes we are now roommates. <laughs> Think about that for a second. How do they know? Because there's a distance that they feel. And that distance, because now that they're married, breeds resentment because they can't get close. The loneliest people on the planet are not those who lay their heads as single people on their pillow at night. It's married people who lay down and think, I don't even know the person next to whom I'm laying. Hard, hard, hard. Humility says, look, I'm not, I'm not sure where we are. I think we might just be in a roommate mode. What can we do to work together to be sure we don't lose us in the midst of these beautiful kids or these wonderful opportunities? Or, our, or we need to reset our priorities, right? We need to protect time for us. From the time our kids were really little, we'd have a date night or we'd get away for a couple days. And it seemed like crazy. Sometimes people say, how, how can you possibly do that? That's just so selfish. We go, no, if we don't do this, we have nothing to give them. And if kids, kids get older, they figure it out right away. I love it when my mom and dad are gone. Because <laughs> when they come back, they're always in a better mood and things go better at home. They're refreshed, they're resilient. Humility looks in the mirror. What do I need to do to grow? Arrogance looks out the window. What do they need to do to please me? Big difference. Jim Collins pointed it out, this out. Top level leaders always look in the window, in the mirror first, and say, where's my responsibility in this? What can I own and name? Before they look out the window. Arrogance always looks out the window. And therefore, arrogance rationalizes bad behavior. It's easy to rationalize my lack of responsibility. Your, your, your lack of doing what I need you to do, right? And what does humility do as the, as the antidote to that? It embodies love. What would love do here? Love would always do the right thing, but love would also say, and I need to talk to you about some stuff. So humility never withholds love. It never withholds righteousness. It never rationalizes bad behavior. If anything, humility says, you know, I need to ask your forgiveness for my bad behavior. I, I'm blaming you for stuff that I'm feeling and I need to own. But here's my frustration. In our relationship, here's what I'm experiencing. Because all of a sudden you get to truth. See, arrogance can never get you to truth. Arrogance is shrouded in lies. Humility is always saying, where's the truth in this? You know in every battle, truth is the first victim, right? Truth is always the first casualty. Humility says, where's the truth in this? Peter said to them, hey, here's the truth. You need to honor the king. Yeah, the one who's persecuting you. He's a nutcase. His name is Nero. But honor him because you're honoring God. You don't have to like what he's doing. You can even have a different point of view about what he's doing. You need to honor. You have to be wise about that. All right. Verse 6. I'm going to go a little faster here. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up, may lift you up in due time. This is where we thrive and grow. Okay, Lord. Uh, I'm yours, I'm, I'm present, I'm ready for duty. Humility isn't saying, uh, let me know if you need me. Humility means I show up and the commanding officer says, here's your assignment for the day. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Well, I don't feel like doing that today. No, the commanding officer says, this is what you're doing today. You go, all right, good. And you're ready. And in that, you, you thrive and you grow and you bless others. So God lifts us up by restoring us into our right mind and right heart, strengthening us for the job he's calling us to do, and enabling us to live with staying power. That's what Peter needed and wanted these people to know. If you, if you can do this, you're going to win and overcome everything that the, this evil empire is throwing against you. 
And so humbling yourself is simply making room for God's work in you and through you. And so humility means I serve God. It's all this. Humility equals I serve God. Therefore, everything I do, and I have second thoughts or fifth thoughts, if I don't like something or I really want to do something, I start with, hey, what does this look like? Am I really loving God, serving God in this attitude uh, and in this behavior? And so his spirit in us makes it possible to yield to him. That's the beauty of humility. We're simply emulating Jesus. Jesus was not a weak, passive uh, wimp. Jesus destroyed the power of sin and death over us. The gates of hell cannot prevail against his kingdom. Let that <laughs> percolate in your head. But what did he do that uh, with? Though, in, though God himself, he humbled himself before God. Read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It'll blow your mind. He says he emptied himself. And then God raised him to the highest place. And you know what? Paul goes on to say, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul was quoting Isaiah chapter 45, 23. This is a big message from God throughout his whole revelation to humankind. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that I am Lord. So verse 7, he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Great message. Peter's saying, God is for you. Nero and his crew won't have the last word. Uh, we name our children Peter, not Nero. Just let that percolate in your mind a little bit. Who had the last word? Who's our new little son, Nero? Everybody would go, oh, ow, oh, seriously, Nero? Oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm dyslexic. It's Oren. I'm sorry, it's Oren. It's our baby's name is Oren. Uh, Oren would be way better than Nero, right? And so uh, where do you turn when there's nowhere to turn? God transforms our fear into confident faith. So treat anxiety as a faith trigger, not a fear trigger, because all anxiety is fear-based. Uh, <laughs> Nell said to me last week, you know, um, uh, 95% of things I worry about never happen. So obviously worrying is very good. It's just a, it's a strategic tool in my, in my toolbox, right? And that's the humor in it, right? Yeah, everything I worry about never happens. So uh, I, I, I can't let go of that worry. Uh, but what does, what, the, the root of the word anxiety, what is it? It's to choke. Literally, it's, it's, it, you keep going back and get the, the, the derivation of the word, it's to choke. When you're anxious, you're choking off your ability to breathe and to think clearly. No air, no life, right? Jesus invites us to breathe. I want to ask you right now, just right now, breathe really deeply in. And let, let, let exhale. Now, if we had time and I could put you to sleep, if you're not already asleep, um, I would have you put your hands on your lap and turn your palms up and just... Breathe in and let it come out. Don't hyperventilate and pass out. But just breathe in naturally and breathe out naturally. And say, Lord, I want to give you my anxiety and my fear. You know what they are. You name them in case you think he doesn't remember. And then say, Lord, and I want to receive from you uh, your peace. The presence of mind that allows me to lean into my fears and my anxieties. Verse 8, he says, so be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to, to devour. You have a deadly enemy who can't get at you without your cooperation. Don't give the devil a foothold, right? Focus on Jesus Christ. Jesus said, be smart as serpents, gentle as doves. We have to understand how the systems of life work. 
So when Peter was hauled in front of Nero, before he was eventually crucified, as history says, <clears throat> he didn't say, you're a little wimpy, a little twerp, you can't do anything to me. I mean, it's just silly. What would he do? He said, you know, uh, I'm here uh, because the Roman Empire thinks I'm a threat. Let me tell you who I am and who I serve. I pray for you. I pray for the empire. It's my heart's desire that every in the empire would be as free as I am under your, under your rule. Because the Romans were a law-based, uh, phenomenally law-based civilization. It was just, they had tyrants, but they, they had a law-based system. We need to understand the systems of life and be wise and discerning about them so that we know how to challenge them. That's why Martin Luther King, Birmingham jail letter, powerful. He submitted himself to the laws and showed how wrong they were by submitting himself to the consequences of the law. He, he turned the law upside down simply by being submissive to it. Powerful message we need to recapture. So verse 9, he says, resist the devil, standing firm in the faith, because you know your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. James says, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Why do we do that? Because we have better options and bigger connections than, this, than the devil has. We can appeal to the Lord. The devil can only appeal to himself. And the devil has been destroyed in terms of his ultimate power over us. Though, he, though somehow God allowed the devil to be at large in the world, his power has been destroyed. And it's only power that we, we entrust to him and give to him that he, he can then uh, manipulate and exploit us with. Our, is, spirit, is, is demonic possession a, true, a real thing? Yes, it is. You can be possessed by Satan, but Satan can't just mug you and possess you. You've got to give him a foothold. You've got to open yourself to them. That's why if, 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 the, if, the, if the devil actually confronted you physically, you wouldn't say, hey, I got something for you. You just say, uh, Lord Jesus, in your name, uh, I, I resist Satan. So we don't, we don't fight or fuss about Satan. If you don't think about him and, and pretend he doesn't exist, you're in danger. If you think any more than that about him, you're in danger. Focus on Jesus in all things. You're not alone in your suffering, Peter says. You're part of an unstoppable, <coughs> invincible, historic, and worldwide movement of God's spirit. That's what he means by all your brothers in other places are going through the same thing. You're part of something bigger than you. Bigger than you in, in the age in which you live. Bigger than you in the scope of history. Don't take that as braggadocio and become arrogant. Well, you know, I'm going to roll with Jesus someday. No, take it as this incredible moment to say, therefore I submit to God Almighty. And I humble myself before him so that I can humble myself before you. And that will give you authority. Moral authority, intellectual authority, spiritual authority. It will give you authority. Why? Because you're, you're being filled with the authority of Jesus himself. Not to wield it like a club and a weapon, but to minister it as his grace and love in the world. And so finally he says, and the God of all grace, verse 10, who called you to this, to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, Maybe a whole lifetime, but it's a little while relative to uh, eternity. He himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. This is a reminder that we are in development, and God is even using the horrible things you're going through right now to, to strengthen you, to develop you, to deepen you, to make you uh, steadfast and firm. He will prevail, and we will prevail in him. That's the only way it works. We can only prevail in and through him. I love the way Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
And so he, he finishes with this, verse 11. To him, therefore, be the power forever and ever. Amen. I hope this is your benediction. Lord, to you be the power. Lord, you have all the power. Lord, because you have the power, I bend my knee and my tongue confesses that you are Lord. And though these people torture me and even destroy me physically, they cannot harm me because I'm safe in you. This is not wishful thinking. This is a radical call to a revolutionary transformational life. Jesus empowers us to look out for one another. Will you embrace that as your gift from him and his gift to others through you? Lord Jesus, that's our prayer. And on this occasion, we come to you uh, to remember who you are and what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. So, um, we're going to receive communion, and uh, on that night that he was betrayed, that we celebrate on Monday Thursday, Jesus took bread, this is gluten-free matzah, uh, unleavened bread, and having blessed it, uh, he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's a simple thing, isn't it? I have given myself for you. Not much to look at, but incredibly powerful and effective. In the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Why do we do this? Is it an empty ceremony? Is it just symbolic? No, in a mysterious way, we believe that somehow Christ is present in this. We don't exactly know how. In and of themselves, the elements are just what they are. But in this moment, receiving them is the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. There's a transformation in us and, and around us that Christ is truly present in this moment. He's present in this place because we gather in his name. We can't even control what goes on here in the sense that he is doing what he's going to do. And so therefore, we don't come in expecting certain feelings or certain responses. We simply come in expecting him to be present. And where he is present and we are present to him, things happen. And so let's just trust that as we come into his presence right now, uh, from wherever you are in the room where it's closest to you, go right where you see some people with the, the bread and the cup. And they'll say something like, come, come up if you're serving with uh, communion today and, and take some of these elements. Uh, they'll, hear, they'll say something like, see, this is Christ's body given for you. This is Christ's blood shed for you. And, and, and take some of this amatsa and dip it into the cup. Uh, and then return to your seat as we, as we uh, conclude our time of worship. And we have a special uh, prayer time uh, following worship before the benediction. And so please go back to your seat. So Lord Jesus, we recognize you in these elements. We recognize that you are enough and so much more. We recognize, Lord, that you've called us into a relationship with you that changes everything in us and even through us. So do your work in us that you may do a work through us, each one of us and all of us together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sweet.
last day here uh, leading in worship you saw the the letter of resignation that he sent and uh, it is a sad day for us do you want to say anything <laughs> uh, just wonderful to be with you guys thank you so much for letting me serve here and learn here and grow here pour into your lives my students and families so super bittersweet but very grateful for you you're a wonderful church and our family loves you thanks for letting us serve you too. I want to pray for John in a minute. Just... <clears throat> um, uh, to the degree that you've been blessed uh, or inspired, uh, moved, uh, informed, uh, that's not only a gift from Dom to you, that's a responsibility now entrusted to you uh, to continue doing that. Uh, and uh, so as we pray for Dom, uh, let this be a prayer for you. Uh, that as you open yourself to where God is leading you and what he wants to do in and through you, you'd be responsive to that and faithful to that. You take, as we've seen Don's, Don's incredible talents uh, used in very beautiful, uh, powerful ways, uh, may you discover what those are for you and use them likewise. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for Don. We thank you for his love for you, uh, for your church. We thank you for his, his faithfulness to you and to your church. We thank you for this beautiful family. Uh, we, we thank you, Lord, that you have a plan and a purpose for them. Uh, we, we pray uh, that you'd open every door, an opportunity uh, to them. As they process uh, where they are and, and what they believe you're calling them to do, give them clarity of mind uh, and purpose. Uh, protect them, uh, and at the same time, Lord, empower them as you've been preparing them over these last uh, 19 months of ministry and service here. We thank you uh, for their contribution. Uh, we thank you for this season. We pray that we can be good stewards of it as we uh, handle wisely what's been entrusted to us uh, through Adam and, and his ministry here. And so now we commit him to you and, and pray uh, every good blessing, every good and perfect gift on him uh, and, and his family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all, giving us grace, his peace, his mercy, one day at a time, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Thank you.